2: Welcome into the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a Rotoviz podcast. This is the August 21st episode, and as always, we are dedicated to answering all of those fantasy football questions. I'm your host, Mike Randall. You can follow me on Twitter at RandallRant. Today, I have the pleasure of talking to one of the top fantasy football analysts in the industry, J.J. Zacharysen. J.J. is the editor-in-chief of both FanDuel and NumberFire, as well as the host of the Late Round podcast and Living the Stream Fantasy Football. There are very few analysts, folks, who provide a more in-depth rationale behind their decision-making process and look at the seasonal league landscape with that true balance between analytics and the instinctual mind. One of the greats in the fantasy football community. You certainly should be following him on Twitter already, at QB. JJ, sir, fantastic to have you on the mailbag to preview the 2020 season, which I do think is going to happen.
1: Yeah, I, I hope it's going to happen. And thank you for the intro. I, you know, I, I do a lot of podcasts. I think that might be the kindest intro that anyone's given me.
2: Uh, well, uh, listen, I'm trying to set you up here because I just want to steal all your knowledge. So that's what we, That's what <laughs> we have to do. I would be remiss, of course, if I don't start the mailbag with the originator of Late Round QB with a look at some of the favorite Late Round QBs, particularly for me. It's Cam Newton, and we're going to start with our FFPC stat attack of the show. I use the RotoViz Team Splits app, which illustrates just how valuable Cam was to that Carolina offense when he was there from 2015 to 2019. And the games that Cam played, which was 63, they averaged 25.2 points per game, five points less per game in the 17 games he did not play. All the numbers were up across the board touchdowns, points per drive. So it's fascinating to me that the public has yet to buy in on Cam. He's currently QB sixteen in the FFPC Best Ball ADP behind Daniel Jones. JJ, am I whistling past the graveyard here with the Cam Newton Bill Belichick pairing?
1: I love Cam Newton. I I think Cam is the late round quarterback target this year. Um, you know, generally we we seem to to see a couple of these types of players each year. Uh, where they have that sort of rushing component or at least that upside to go along with what they could potentially do with their arm. Uh, obviously, Lamar Jackson, you know, he was the most obvious that we, we've seen in a while last season. But um, this year, you know, the the quarterback market's really, really efficient. Um, and, and we're seeing, you know, as, as we've seen in the NFL, a lot of the, the rushing quarterbacks have also become really good passers. Um, and we're seeing that reflected in ADP, where you get Kyler Murray now as QB four ish. You have Dak Prescott obviously up there. Lamar Jackson is the QB one, QB two, um, Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson. Um, but Cam is sort of not moving up in ADP like I thought that he would. You know, when he first signed with New England, I, I sort of figured that that Cam would shoot up rankings to the point where you know he was borderline draftable. But given the fact that he's where he's being drafted, QB sixteen in this case, uh, you know, I have him at QB twelve. Um, people forget how good he was before that injury, that shoulder injury that he had against Pittsburgh in that primetime game. The Panthers going into that game were six and two. Things were going great. Um, And through that point in the season, Cam was averaging almost 24 points per game. Um, And really everything just kind of went downhill from there. You, you, You really, you know, whenever I look at splits like that, I really try to, Make sure that there's at least some narrative that I can tie to it and some reason for for numbers to drop or, or things to change. And and really, you know, it, it was that it was on the all or nothing show. They even talked about it. How Cam's shoulder uh, w- was different after and, and his injury uh, was different after that game against Pittsburgh when when Watt uh, sacked him. So um, I think that we can at least pinpoint that and say that's why Cam's splits look the way they do in that 2018 season. And obviously last year he was hurt the entire year for the two games that he played. Um, So I I, I love Cam. Um, You know, he has the the rushing upside and hopefully he can bring it together as a passer this year. I just don't think you're going to find that kind of upside. A guy who, you know, he's played eight seasons in the NFL with 14 or more games played. He's finished as a top four option in fantasy football in five of those seasons. So it's really hard to find that kind of upside late.
2: Yeah, and people forget during that season, before he got hurt against Pittsburgh, three times he was the overall QB3. In fact, he went back-to-back week seven and eight QB3, QB3 back-to-back, so certainly he is someone who has a huge upside, and we don't know what's going to happen there in the offense with New England, but it certainly seems positive, and a heck of a lot better at his ADP. That's why he was our FFPC stat attack of the show. FFPC is, of course, home to the best fantasy football leagues and contests in the industry, Dynasty Best Bowl, and, of course, the world-famous FFPC main event. If you want to learn more, go to myffpc.com. That's myffpc.com, and we have a ton of tools here at Rotoviz specifically designed for that FFPC domination. JJ, got a question here from Devin. He said, there's been a lot of talk about Christian McCaffrey being the clear number one pick, providing such an advantage versus any other pick. Now, I think it's interesting because I had Evan Silva on a couple months ago, and he said, listen, since it's so difficult to go back to back as the overall RB1, I don't think we can say that it's likely. We can say that it could happen, but it's hard to say that it's likely given what we've seen in the past. So, Devin wants to know how much do you factor in like in an auction format compared to number one picks of the past year? So how much more do you think McCaffrey's worth this year, assuming let's say a two hundred dollar budget?
1: I do think in terms of projectable output, CMC is the clear cut number one running back and player in fantasy football. You know, to to Evan's point about uh players repeating as the number one guy, totally fair, totally true. Um, and we might not see CMC be the number one running back this year, but in terms of projectable output, in terms of that floor ceiling combo, uh, he should be, I think, the, the clear cut number one guy. And I do think that he's sort of in his own tier from that perspective as well. I mean, even if he were to, to, see a, a worse target, a slightly worse target share, a slightly worse running back rush share uh, with this new regime in place in Carolina, he'd still be uh, projected to be the, the best running back in fantasy football. So I I am still siding with CMC, especially in this offense that should be fairly pass heavy because of how bad that defense is. Um, you know, if you look across the industry at, at auction budgets, and this is really, or at auction prices, and this is really what I try to tell people to do before their auction draft is is to to look at the site that you're drafting on, whether it's ESPN, Yahoo, et cetera. Uh, and see where they have these guys priced. And, and I, I've seen that CMC is usually you know, between 4 and $5 more than, than Saquon is on those sites. I think that you can go up to $10 more, um, you know, depending on, on what – and this is off of a $200 budget, obviously. But um, I do think that CMC is the clear-cut number one guy, just in terms of projectable output, and what we know he's, he, he can and will produce week in and week out.
2: And as safe as safe can be, for sure. Next question here from Jared. Obviously, late-round QB is the way to go. However, in a half-point PPR, six-point per-passing TD league, where are you thinking Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes should go in this sort of format? I think the key here, that's six points per-passing touchdown, which is not always the case.
1: Yeah, so I do think that it's important to not overstate what six points per-passing touchdown does to a league in general. Uh, I've done a study on this, and, and really – Think of it as uh, the quarterback position in this type of format. You're still only starting one of them. So the supply and demand of the position doesn't change. The replaceability of the position is still very, very high to the point where you can still effectively stream the position. I did a study on this uh, to show what, you know, I've been tracking my streaming picks over the last five years. Um, and, And really with a six point per touchdown pass league nothing changed with the way that my streamer and Denny Carter, who I I co-host living the stream with nothing changed in terms of how our Frankenstein streamer uh, did, whether it was a four point per touchdown pass league or a six point per touchdown pass league. You know, a lot of that is just the fact that, uh, quarterbacks are, uh, you know, if a quarterback is going to do well as a streamer, um, he's probably throwing two to four touchdown passes to begin with. Um, and so he's still going to get that extra boost, um, you know, with that six point per touchdown pass league, uh, as a result. So, I wouldn't really be changing my strategy all that much uh, in this type of format because of that replaceability factor. I do think that if you're sitting there saying, I want either Patrick Mahomes or Lamar Jackson, you know, you can then start to side with the guy who isn't going to run for a thousand plus yards and not throw the ball a whole lot and has a lot of passing touchdown regression coming. Uh, you can definitely go with Mahomes over Lamar Jackson and you can generally start to skew. Uh, your picks, your individual quarterback picks towards the less mobile players. So, you know, I mentioned earlier about how efficient the quarterback market is. You have Josh Allen sitting there at QB7 largely because of what he can do with his legs. Maybe you get a little bit more confidence in in, in drafting a guy like Matt Ryan or Carson Wentz over Josh Allen because of that touchdown upside. So I can understand that. But overall, from a strategic standpoint, you should not be changing your your quarterback strategy all that much because a lot of times uh, when we do this, we then see sort of an overcorrection as to what these two extra points per touchdown pass means. So, you know, generally I say draft uh, Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes in the early fourth, mid fourth round. That's where their value is. Obviously, they have ADPs in the second round. Um, but you'll, you'll see in, in drafts like this, you'll see them go in the mid first. Um, And so it's just not worth
2: it at that point. Yeah, I agree. If you're going to take a quarterback that early, what you're basically saying is you're pushing your chips in the middle and you're passing on the value at the other positions. So if you're going to get a Peyton Manning-like year or a Patrick Mahomes year from two years ago, fine. But if you don't get right that big year, then you're passing up on way too much value to invest early, even in six points for passing touchdown.
1: Right, exactly.
2: I talked with Sigmund Bloom last week. Where are you on the Washington backfield now with the release of Darius Geis? Antonio Gibson, Bryce Love is still there. Peyton Barber's the grinder. Adrian Peterson, anyone? So how do you handicap this backfield now that Darius Guy's not in the equation?
1: Yeah, I mean, in situations like this, I think the obvious go-to is to look for the ambiguity and the upside and the potential. So uh, of the four guys in that backfield, I think we can immediately cross off Adrian Peterson, who's 35 years old. Peyton Barber, who's fine. He's replaceable, but he's never been, you know, he's already had a shot and he has never been uh, super fantasy relevant. Uh, so you're really looking at Antonio Gibson and Bryce Love, both guys I really like at cost right now. Um, I love Antonio Gibson's upside, given his athleticism uh, and given the fact that that he should see uh, a lot of a lot of work right away as a pass catcher. Uh, you know, obviously he played wide receiver in college, uh, didn't see a lot of volume uh, in college in general, but. You know, there's not a lot of competition in that Washington offense for Antonio Gibson to, to slide in and, and play a role right away as a receiver. Uh, but then there's the upside, obviously, as to, you know, what if Antonio Gibson ends up seeing 80, 100 touches on the ground, then all of a sudden you can see a very viable fantasy option, especially with his athleticism. So I like him a lot as a low-end RB3 in that range in PPR formats. But then Bryce Love, I mean, he was a good prospect. He just was obviously injured and he hasn't been able to see the field. Uh, pretty good prospect from a, from a production standpoint. Um, and so I, I would much rather be drafting someone like Bryce Love ahead of Adrian Peterson, even though Adrian Peterson probably has uh, better projectable output um, and, and he has the safer floor, I guess you could say. I, I don't need Adrian Peterson on my fantasy team this year because I know what Adrian Peterson's likely to do uh, in fantasy football. So I'm just going to shoot for upside and go for someone like Bryce Love.
2: Especially on late round picks, right? That's right. where you want the upside. You don't want safety late in the draft. You can get that early in the draft. It's like doing it reverse. Hey everyone, you know from tight muscles, tough workouts, and signs of aging to simply making it through each busy day everyone understands what it feels like to be tense and sore so everyone can benefit from TheraOne's CBD products now they're started by Dr. Jason Worsland TheraBody exists to provide you with the best scientifically validated natural solutions to help soothe your body and relax your mind it all started with the revolutionary TheraGun percussive therapy device when Dr. Jason saw the benefits of using CBD in his treatments he created TheraOne to bring you CBD products done right now a lot of CBD products claim organic but still contain up to 30% filler, and these fillers are potentially toxic. Now, TheraOne tests their products four times before they get to you. Every product is USDA certified organic, grown in the US, and their CBD extracts are the highest quality available anywhere. Use TheraOne's warming lotion in your morning routine, the cooling lotion or massage oil to recover, body balm for the targeted relief, and sleep tincture to drift into deep night sleep. And now through Labor Day, Monday, September 7th, TheraOne is offering our listeners a buy one, get one free for all TheraOne products. But you've got to go to TheraGun.com slash BlueWire. If you don't love what you get from TheraOne, send it back for a full refund within 30 days of purchase. This is not something TheraOne is likely to do. Again, buy one, get one free at TheraGun.com slash BlueWire. But only until Labor Day. Go right now to TheraGun.com slash BlueWire. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL. Finally, with NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite team and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFL NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use that promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout. You get your 15% off your subscription. Visit NFL NFLSundayTicket.tv and use that promo code BLUEWIRE. Old faces now, JJ, in new places. So I'd like to get your outlook in seasonal leagues on these veterans who have moved teams. That's always an issue. Wide receivers changing, running back, how much of volume they're going to get. Let's start. It's been a hot topic on the show. Stephon Diggs now in Buffalo. He's going at wide receiver 25, not even a seasonal wide receiver too, but he was a little feast or famine. He was uber efficient last year in Minnesota. How do you think he's going to do in seasonal with Josh Allen?
1: Yeah, look, I love Stefan Diggs as a player. It's kind of hard to not love Stefan Diggs as a player. But I I would be lying if I said I wasn't concerned about uh, this move and and what it means for fantasy purposes. Um, You know, it's a run-heavy offense uh, in Buffalo. We've seen that the last couple of years with Josh Allen. Uh, The 12th-ranked wide receiver in fantasy football over the last five years has has averaged 15.9 PPR points per game, so about 16 PPR points per game. 17% of offenses since 2011 have had 500 or fewer pass attempts Only 4% of players that have hit that 15.9 mark have come from those offenses. And then if you you take a step up and you look at offenses uh, that had 525 or fewer pass attempts, there were 30% of offenses since over that time, since 2011, that had 525 or fewer pass attempts. Only 11.5% of the players with that 15.9 PPR points per game mark came from those offenses. So I just worry uh, what his impact can really be from a fantasy standpoint in an offense it's just likely not going to throw that much um you know we we obviously saw, saw evidence last couple of years of them not throwing that much but They could see more positive game scripts this year. They're projected to be a pretty good team. They should be a pretty good team. Uh, I just worry that Stefan Diggs doesn't have that true wide receiver one ceiling. And that's what I'm looking for whenever I'm drafting players in that range. So I do think that he should have a fine enough floor. I think that there's a a reasonable expectation that he can hit expectation and then reach that value of wide receiver 25, wide receiver 24. Um, But realistically, you know, Diggs has been in this position in the past with Minnesota he only has one wide receiver one season and 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 five years in the NFL, so it's not like you know. I think that this is just a classic case of Stefan Diggs being someone who's just a better real life player than a fantasy one.
2: Going down to Miami now, running back. You know we are zero RB here at Rotoviz. So Sean Siegel's gone on a lot of of drafts and come back and talked about it, and he has started wide receiver strong. So when we're looking for running backs in sort of that mid to late range, a guy who pops up is Jordan Howard. Listen, he is not sexy. It is the report he's going to be the lead back on a team that projects for 6.5 wins in Vegas. Right now, he's going right next to Matt Breida down there. In all the drafts that you do, and we did the one in draft sharks, you had the second overall pick. Is there a situation where you actually can use Jordan Howard? Or are you shying away because he really isn't used in the passing game?
1: Yeah, you know, I can understand it a little bit in, from from a best ball standpoint, getting Jordan Howard. I just prefer Matt Breida um, because all the research that I've done shows that those middle and late round running back breakouts are typically pass catchers. There's a large proportion of their touches that are targets versus attempts Uh, than other running backs that end up as RB2s and RB1s. Uh, And Matt Breida profiles to be that guy more than Jordan Howard. I mean, we have a a fairly decent sample of Jordan Howard not being a very significant pass catcher at the NFL level. And then you mentioned they only have a six and a half uh, win total um, this season. Miami does. and, And those negative game scripts might hit, which means we might not see Jordan Howard as much. So, you know, I, I could see Jordan Howard, just another one of those players, similar to Stefan Diggs in a way where I could see him meeting expectation in terms of where he's being drafted. I just have a hard time really seeing where that ceiling is going to come from.
2: The last one is a big one. Melvin Gordon, because he's right on the fringe of that top tier, top 12 running backs, let's say. He's in a backfield now. Philip Lindsay is there. Philip Lindsay was an accomplished pass catcher at Colorado. He seeded that role to Royce Freeman last year. Sort of a reverse. If you look at the, the body type and, and the way they are, Gordon has been a touchdown machine when he's healthy, but he only has one full 16 game season in his five years. He's going right now a little bit later, RB 17, but some people are taking him as high as RB 14, RB 13. What's your thoughts here on Melvin Gordon in Denver?
1: Yeah, like I get it. I get it with Melvin Gordon. You can make the case for a lot of guys in that range of running backs. I generally avoid that RB2 range. You know, I'm I'm getting I'm trying to get a stud running back in the first round, maybe in the second round this year, because I think there's a a decent number of guys that that can make that jump. Um, But I just I just love the wide receivers that are being drafted where those RB2s are being drafted. And then historically, if you look at running back twos versus running back threes, let's say, and you look at their hit rate, running back twos do have a better hit rate of becoming top 12 running backs but the, they have a fairly similar hit rate in becoming top six running backs, So really the, the true studs. Um, so it's just a, a range, an area that I generally avoid. And, you know, I think Philip Lindsay might dig into the early down role more than we would like in that backfield if, if you're drafting Gordon, especially. Um, but they did seem to phase Philip Lindsay out as a receiver towards the end of last year. And that's why we're seeing all these reports now of Philip Lindsay really working on his receiving. Um, so, you know, I, I really just look at Gordon where, you know, if I'm, if I'm up to pick, and I see him sitting there, I just think to myself, he's fine. Sure. I just like so many wide receivers in that range that I'm not drafting him that much.
2: Yeah, that's a great Melvin Gordon fine. That 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 should be the title of the podcast. <laughs> that's exactly right. Next one, JJ. I have to do this for my family. My two children are sponsoring this one. What is the JJ Zacharyson dessert of choice? Ice cream, brownie, apple pie, Sigwent cheesecake last week. So you sit back, you have a great big fantasy Sunday. You want to have a cappuccino. What's your flavor dessert there?
1: Man, that's a that's a great question. Um, I I would probably side ice cream, and as I've gotten older, I side more with like the halo top ice cream to to keep the LBS down a little nice, bit. You know? Nice, nice, uh, yeah. So pro- pro- probably would go in that direction.
2: Very fair. I got to stay away from the sprinkles; they always find their way on my ice cream, whether <laughs> I do it or not. Is there a better running back value right now? And you mentioned it before those sort of scary third to fifth round redraft uh, leagues than James Conner in Pittsburgh? Right now, he's RB fifteen. Only way I see it, JJ, that he doesn't perform is if he gets hurt because Pittsburgh likes their lead guy and he's done it before here. So what do you think of James Conner there for the Steelers?
1: Yeah. I mean, look, I love James Conner because I'm, I'm a Pitt graduate, uh, yep. so I'm, I'm a big James Conner guy, of course. Um You know, we really haven't. We've only really seen one season of James Conner where he was the starter and Ben Roethlisberger was healthy. Um, and in that season, he he averaged 21 and a half PPR points per game. So clearly, he has that upside, and that's really what you should be striving for. You know, when you're drafting uh, an RB two, when you're drafting, really, I mean, everywhere in your draft, you have to make sure that the guy can can exceed value in some way. Um, so yeah, I'm all all about James Conner. He's one of the few RB twos that I'm willing to draft this year. I think Chris Carson is sort of in the same bucket. Um, where he could end up being that true RB1 in that workhorse. Um, but Connor, you know, if, it really, if he's, if he's not, if we were to go into the season assuming that he's healthy and knowing that he's healthy, James Connor would have a second round ADP very easily. Uh, you know, he would be going in that maybe even closer to the one, two turn range uh, where, where those other running backs are going. So I'm all about it. I think he has a lot of upside. Um, and I do think they're going to throw, you know, we might see towards the end of the year some Anthony McFarlane in there as a change of pace. Uh, just given the fact that he's easily the, the fastest, speediest back on that team, and he would be a good change of pace. Uh, but the competition really isn't that strong in Pittsburgh either. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm about James Conner this year.
2: You're tied into Pittsburgh. What about the report that if Conner were to get hurt, it's going to be Benny Snell? I love McFarlane also, yeah. but reports that we're reading from the the B-writers are saying that it actually would be Snell's backfield as the main guy.
1: Yeah, I absolutely believe it. Um, you know, Snell's the 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 prototypical build at least. And apparently he's gone down the same path that we've seen with like a Le'Veon Bell where year one, you know, he came out, he was really heavy uh, and he lost like 20 pounds in year two and then he dominated. Um, and apparently that's the same, same thing that's going on with Benny Snell right now. Um, to me, I think McFarlane is just sort of that secondary piece where uh, if James Conner's healthy, McFarlane will be more valuable than Benny Snell will. But if, if James Conner goes down, Benny Snell would be the guy that I would be targeting as his handcuff.
2: You talk about so many great things on your late round podcast. If you're not listening to it, folks, it's fantastic. Multiple pods per week, short, but gives you so much information. I'm curious, how much do you value getting off to a hot start in seasonal leagues? I feel like those early weeks are super important because they allow you flexibility. You can address things in a calculated way. You're not panicking. Oh, two and oh, three. Right. You don't win the first couple weeks. You're in a panic Mm -hmm. as a result. On top of that, do you see veteran RBs in these ambiguous backfields? You talked about being undervalued, like a carry-on Johnson. Are those players going to help you get off to a good start? And how much do you value that when you're talking in redraft leagues?
1: I can understand it from a zero RB approach. I think that you nailed it, though. Getting off to a good start is not only important because you want to have a good record, obviously. You want to start 2-0, and 3-0, 4-0. Um, but you also, there, there's this confidence aspect to things where when we're making our start-sit decisions every single week, uh, we're... we're taking all these inputs and trying to decide who we're going to play. Um, and if we see a, a player who is, is not living up to, to where we drafted him, uh, he's not getting any run and we don't really know what to do with him, that, that's going to uh, take a toll on the way that you're managing your roster. So it's important for not only your team to just do well, but you want your players to be doing well so that you feel confident playing them every week. Um, and that's, that goes a long way. Um, regarding the guys like a uh, on Johnson, a Marlon Mack, I tend to just go towards the pass catching backs in PPR formats, especially like James White's and the Tariq Cohen's, uh, to give me that floor and just give me some production if I'm going that route. Uh, just because I, I don't see the the true upside with guys like Marlon Mack or on Johnson, uh, with you know the, the the split backfield that we're likely to see this year, and the fact that uh, you know the rookie coming in obviously is going to get uh, you know first dibs if he ends up showing up and, and ends up looking pretty good. Um, it just is hard to imagine a true, true crazy ceiling without injury for a guy like Johnson or Mack. Um, so I, can, I understand it for the first couple of weeks of the season, but I still side with more of the pass-catching guys like Tariq Cohen or James White.
2: One of the great points that you made, and you make it every year, is regarding the inconsistencies in certain ADP rankings. And if you can find those, you can sometimes get value. Let's talk about Rams quarterback Jared Goff. I bet if you asked 100 people who led the league in attempts last year, very few would say Jared Goff. You have a situation where Cooper Cup right now is around wide receiver 17. Robert Woods, of course, always goes right after or before cup, wide receiver 18. Tyler Higby, regardless of where you fall on him, it's very polarizing. He currently is the tight end nine. So two wide receivers in the top 20, a tight end in the top 10, yet the market is very down on Jared Goff, really hanging around QB 15 or so has to be a good value. No?
1: Yeah. So here, here's a stat that I think puts this and paints this picture uh, pretty concisely. Um, There have been 60 occasions where a team has had two or more wide receivers and tight ends drafted in the first five rounds since 2011. So we're looking at all teams that had multiple pass-catching options in the first five rounds. Uh, The average quarterback finish for those teams has been QB11. Now, a lot of quarterbacks were drafted ahead of QB11 that had uh, uh, teammates in that range – um, but the, the players that were drafted in Goff's range, all but one of them, uh, there were seven of them, all but one of them ended the season higher than where they were being drafted. So that's a, a big uh, thumbs up for Jared Goff sure. from that, that alone. Uh, but then on top of that, there's just so much in Jared Goff's favor this year. You have, uh, he had the lowest touchdown rate of his career last year. That tends to, to rebound uh, year over year. The other thing that I'm really intrigued by is that the Rams have been, uh, over the last three years, so since Sean McVay became head coach. Uh, they've been the the second most run-heavy team within the five-yard line, so at the goal line in the entire NFL. The only team that's been more run-heavy has been the the Titans, which is not surprising because they have Derrick Henry. Um, What happens this season when they don't have as reliable as a running back as Todd Gurley? Uh, how does that change? Maybe we see them throw the ball a little bit more in that area of the field, which is only gonna boost Jared Goff's touchdown numbers. I think there's a low-key chance that Jared Goff throws thirty plus touchdowns this year. Um, I'm all about him where he's being drafted.
2: Absolutely, especially you don't want to go early. There's a guy who can start dropping there in, in your in your redraft leagues when especially if you have like a one quarterback league, he's a guy you can get really late and get great value. The topics you cover with Denny on Living the Stream really can run the gamut. So I have to ask you, what's more painful, a root canal or trimming your nose hairs when the machine dies in the middle of it?
1: Yeah, look, guys, you don't you don't want to be trimming your nose hairs and have a low battery with your beard slash nose hair trimmer uh, because it is the most <laughs> painful experience you will ever experience. So I am I am most definitely going with the nose hairs here.
2: Yeah, that happened to me, too. I heard it, and I was laughing because happened to me. <laughs> it's certainly painful. It's yeah. Next question, Phil from Duluth. Thanks for the superior guests every week. You're welcome. JJ's at the top of the list, of course. I'm really starting to feel like Irv Smith Jr. is our second best receiving option here in Minnesota. Justin Jefferson reports say are running with the twos right now. B.C. Johnson is opposite Adam Thielen. I'm going to have to contend, of course, now Thielen with the top cornerback on the other team. I think Irv Smith could have a huge breakout this year for us, like a top 12 fantasy tight end. Am I thinking straight?
1: Yeah, you're definitely thinking straight. I love, love me some Irv Smith. Uh, we know that Minnesota is one of the, the heaviest 12 personnel teams in the NFL, uh, so we see a lot of Irv Smith and Kyle Rudolph on the field at the same time. Rookie, rookie year Irv Smith was basically Kyle Rudolph in terms of efficiency and almost overall production. Um, and I also did a tight end breakout study uh, over on Number Fire earlier this offseason uh, and I, I looked at uh, tight ends who, who exceeded their ADP by a significant amount over the last nine years and, and found trends within that data and saw what, what these tight ends sort of shared attribute-wise. Um, and really what I found was that they're usually year two or year three players. They're really athletic and they're usually tied to good quarterbacks. So Irv Smith generally fits those, that, that set of criteria. The, the athleticism thing is really crazy. Uh, the, the breakout tight ends that I looked at, uh, the average uh, tight end speed score ranked in the 86th percentile. Um, so you're wow. looking at this these crazy, crazy, and it's I mean, anecdotally you can look back and, and understand like all, all the great tight ends uh, in fantasy right now are, are stud athletes. Um, and you know you can go back to when Tyler Eifert came out and and, and broke out, and obviously Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, etc. Um, all these guys are just super athletic. Irv Smith isn't quite that athletic, but he's very close to that that uh, median speed score. Um, so I just think he fits the criteria really well, like you said, and the question uh, he should be or he could end up being the number two option in that offense. I, I love Irv, Irv Smith as a breakout this year. He
2: checks all the boxes, of course, in Minnesota. Absolutely agree. Athletic guy, can see a huge volume, and if you're waiting there on tight ends, he's a guy you should target. Regression has now become a phrase that's actually mainstreamed, whereas a few years ago, people Really didn't understand the idea of regression. They only thought it was negative. Of course, there is positive regression. We talk about it a lot. Even though the following players are on teams, that's sort of some question whether they can maintain that level of efficiency. I'm curious how you project them in seasonal leagues. I want to start in Baltimore here. Hollywood Brown, he burst on the scene in Miami last year, catching all those bombs, battled injuries the entire season, but is certainly the main guy in Baltimore. How do you think about Hollywood this year?
1: I love Marquise Brown, uh, especially if you can get him as like your wide receiver three. I think it's a slam dunk pick. Um, you know, if you look at what he did last year, uh, banged up, it was it was really incredible. And and the 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 big uh, thing that, that you have to keep in mind with with Baltimore's regression is they're not going to score as many touchdowns this year as they did last year. More than likely, they had fifty eight offensive touchdowns last year. Year over year, that tends to regress. So we shouldn't expect Baltimore to to uh, score as many touchdowns. Not only that. But, Lamar Jackson had the second best touchdown rate in NFL history last year. So we're not going to see yeah. them throw as many touchdowns as they did last year, too. Um, but the, the one thing that I like about uh, targeting their their passing attack is that, uh, they were also very, very run-heavy last year. And I understand that that's the way this, Ro- this Greg Roman offense runs and, and what they're going to do with Lamar Jackson at quarterback. Uh, but historically, we see that number rise just b- through natural regression because Baltimore last year in particular uh, was leading in so many games. Uh, they, they, uh, they were, they were uh, running offensive plays while trailing. Uh, they only had like 21% of their offensive plays run while trailing last year. Um, and so we should see more volume through the air with that passing attack. And just given the efficiency that we saw with Marquise Brown, I just think that there's that, that potential that Marquise Brown could just be an outlier and that he could just be this unicorn. Um, and, and I wouldn't buy into that if he were being drafted in like the first four rounds. But once you get into the fifth, sixth, seventh round of drafts, you're really shooting for upside and the opportunity cost really uh, dies down, which is why I think that he's a great, great uh, target just because, you know, he has that potential upside.
2: He does. You're talking Tyreek Hill, Deshaun Jackson. Those guys do exist. And Hollywood Brown, we could see it this year, could absolutely get into that mold. Definitely great value. How about for the 49ers? Raheem Mostert. I'm curious where you think he's going to go. Again, he was really productive. Even though Tevin Coleman did start the NFC Championship game still. And of course, Jarek McKinnon getting a lot of positive reports now, Shanahan talking about yesterday that McKinnon's going to be the passing down back. What do you think about Mostert here in a side question on McKinnon?
1: Yeah, look, that's a big deal, the McKinnon thing, not just because of McKinnon's standalone value, which I think he has, uh, given the fact that he'll be the pass catching back. But I, I do think that that's going to dig into Raheem Mostert's potential as a receiver in that in that backfield. I mean, last season, when he started seeing significant snaps, Raheem Mostert still had a sub-7% target share in that offense. Uh Really, we, we haven't seen running backs with with that low of a target share uh, be top 10, top five running backs very often at all in, in fantasy football history. He essentially needs to be Derrick Henry to pay off and, and to really have that upside. So Mostert, to me, is sort of in that bucket of players who I just generally like to avoid because, you know, I think that they can pay off at their ADP and just sort of uh, you know, Raheem Mostert, let's see. Let's say he's going at RB24. I think that he can finish as an RB20. But what does that really mean for your fantasy roster? Uh, you know, there's a lot of touchdown regression coming from Mostert. Mike Clay has his OTD metric uh, over on ESPN. Uh, and, and according to that, Mostert scored 6.2 more touchdowns than he should have last year. And then the yeah. other thing, too, in that backfield... You know, everyone's talking about how awesome Mostert was towards the end of the year, which I don't disagree with. I think he's a great fit in the offense. Uh, But that divisional – I keep going back to that divisional game against Minnesota because in that game, Tevin Coleman was the starter. Tevin Coleman had 22 carries to Raheem Mostert's 12. And then in the NFC Championship game, Tevin Coleman hurts his shoulder and he's out. Raheem Mostert goes nuts. And then Coleman was injured for the Super Bowl as well. So there's a reason that Raheem Mostert was able to do what he did, maybe not to the degree that he did, but why he was on the field as much as he was in the playoffs, because Tevin Coleman was banged up. Coleman was actually the starter uh, before that injury happened. So I just think there's a lot of question marks, especially for the fact that, you know, he's a, he's a 27-year-old breakout running back. That's, that's a little bit scary too. So the fact that McKinnon is healthy, I think that there's uh, definitely potential for McKinnon to have uh, some standalone value in PPR formats. Uh, but then on top of that, it's really going to suppress what Raheem Mostert could potentially do as a receiver.
2: Yeah, I talked about this last week. Mostert's one of those plinko board guys. If things kick the right way, sure, but that chip could could kick the wrong way, and yeah. it could go really, really poorly. With Darrington Evans now having two fumbles in practice this week, <laughs> which came out, this next question's pretty obvious. I guess I'm just saying T- Derek Henry in Tennessee. Not involved in the passing game, J.J., but when he does catch a pass, it goes 75 yards for a touchdown. So the efficiency in Tennessee, the question that comes up, of course, is do you think they'll be able to continue to run as much while maintaining the passing efficiency? But with Evans now struggling, it looks like Henry is locked in there for a secure workload either way.
1: Yeah, look, I mean, to, to just be transparent, you know, I'm a, I'm a fantasy manager who likes to target running backs who catch passes out of the backfield. So I've been burned by not drafting as much Derrick Henry as I should have in the past, even though I love him as a player. how It's impossible to not love him as a player. Um, but I can get behind his ADP right now. Um, you know, Tennessee is likely not going to be as efficient as they were last year um, offensively, where they scored a touchdown on 87 percent of their red zone trips with Ryan Tannehill under center in the regular season. Uh, that's not going to happen. There's no way they keep that up. Um, and and Henry's likely not going to score as many touchdowns as he did last year. He was part of that 15 touchdown club, which you always see regress year over year, um, for the most part, unless you're Todd Gurley. Uh, (laughs) but what's nice about Derrick Henry in this case is that, you know, we're drafting him where he's being drafted in the mid first round, um, you know, under the assumption that he's not going to be used that heavily as a receiver. So there is at least some room for growth to Derrick Henry's profile. I always look for that. When I'm drafting players, there, there are some guys where you're drafting at their ceiling uh, because you're projecting, you know, what their their perceived uh, you know, target share and, and rush share is going to be. Um, and then not a lot of them have many outs. I think Nick Chubb is a good example of that, where we don't really have that much confidence that Chubb is going to see that much more of a target share, given Kareem Hunt is in that backfield. Whereas maybe it can happen. There's a realistic shot that it could happen for Derek Henry. So I understand his ADP. And I, understand, you know, I, I like the fact that there's some room for growth for him to really have a unicorn-type season.
2: Tight end Blake Jarwin down in Dallas. I mean, Dallas's offense looks like it's going to explode. I put the picture out yesterday of Cooper and Gallup both catching a football with one hand. I mean, whatever social media influence you want, Dallas is going to be really strong this year. But C.D. Lamb there, of course, Zeke in the backfield. Blake Jarwin was efficient last year when he got opportunities. My question to you is, is he going to get enough opportunities to be relevant?
1: Yeah, so I I have a little bit of an issue when people look at like Randall Cobb and Jason Witten and say, here's how many targets are now going to be distributed amongst this offense that are now gone. The vacated targets argument, because obviously things will change year over year and Dallas might not be as pass heavy this year as they were last year, um, even if we want them to and even if they should be. Um, you know they, they they might have maxed out in the passing volume department, which means you know jarwin won't just take that on you know that's why we work with target share and we hope that these guys can can reach you know 20 twenty five percent target shares. Um, I don't mind jarwin. he's sort of in that same bucket with with Melvin Gordon where he's just fine you know i I, I see, uh, I'll, 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 maybe need a later round tight end and I'll see him sitting there, but I just like a lot of other tight ends in that area, whether it be Irv Smith, who I've ranked above Blake Jarwin, I think you can make the case for, for Chris Herndon. Uh, yes. he's likely yes. going to see more volume than Jarwin will too. Um, so I just, you know, I'm worried. I, I've seen the argument that, that Jarwin, uh, is going to be, you know, the, the defense is only going to be worried about, or is, isn't going to be very worried about him because he's the fourth option in the offense. But the problem is that he's the fourth option in the offense, yep. right? So um, I'm not really targeting him, targeting him heavily, uh, but I can understand why people are. I mean, I think that he should be fine and should at least pay off at his ADP.
2: And last one, solve the riddle of Aaron Jones for us. I put a tweet out earlier saying that even if Aaron Jones had massive regression across the board, he's still probably around the right value now in the second round. However, we had that stationary picture of A.J. Dillon. And of course, now there's rumors, though, of a contract extension coming for Jones. So is Jones another player that you think is just fine? How do you handicap him for Green Bay?
1: He's generally one that I'm avoiding only because of what I talked about earlier, where you're really trying to look at where the, these players' range of outcomes could hit that upper upper range. Um, and, you know, he's going around guys like Josh Jacobs, who I think, you know, has that potential if he were to see that receiving volume in the offense. Uh, but with Jones, you know, you, you mentioned it, and you're right. You know, he would – last season, if he would have just scored as many touchdowns as he should have scored based on a lot of different – Uh, metrics like OTD, for instance. I have a metric, too, that looks at this, a weighted touchdown metric. Um, He he would have been around RB10 uh, by scoring eight fewer touchdowns, which is what he should have scored based on natural regression. Um, And so that's where he's being drafted this year, so it makes sense. My thing is that they didn't have A.J. Dillon last year. And, you know, I don't really love or hate A.J. Dillon as a a prospect. I think that the the receiving uh, knocks that people had on Dillon was a little bit overstated, and the comps to Andre Williams was a little bit overstated. Uh, because he's not only bigger than Andre Williams, but he had a, a much higher reception share than Andre Williams did at Boston college. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't mind AJ Dillon at all as a prospect. My, my big thing is that he could just really hurt Aaron Jones. Uh, you know, he's a big body guy, huge body guy, as you mentioned. Uh, so what happens if he steals some goal line looks from Aaron Jones? Jones last year was one of two uh, players in the league with, with 10 or more goal line touches uh, him and Zeke both had 10. So I'm just a little bit worried about what A.J. Dillon could do to Aaron Jones's touchdown potential, which is why I'm avoiding him at its cost.
2: Thank-a-teacher time, J.J. Can you give a shout-out and thank-a-teacher? It's been a really popular piece the last couple of weeks. Love it. Who made an influence on you, everything going on with COVID, teachers really struggling virtual versus live. As we're getting back here, I want to get some good mojo going. So thank somebody here who had a big influence on you as you were growing up.
1: Yeah, man. I'm going to go with Mr. Detillo, Mr. D. Uh, he was a middle school social studies teacher that I had, but he, he always... Uh, Implemented a lot of games and stuff into and, and what we did. He had a box where you know if you answered a question right, you could pick from the box and get like candy or baseball cards. Yeah. Baseball <laughs> cards were in there too. Big sports guy. So he just made learning fun. He's a really awesome guy too. He became a family friend.
2: Uh, that's a great one. I had a Mr. D also. Mr. D is like a really universal. If you're a Mr. D, you're probably <laughs> a really good person. That's yes. the way I look at it. High correlation. <laughs> yes. Question here, Steven in Oklahoma City. How does J.J. value players coming off of injury? Does he have a strategy? He's talking about Debo Samuel, Preston Williams, even Rashad Penny there in Seattle.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on the injury, obviously. Um, I'm becoming less weary of, like, ACL tears. Um, you know, I like Preston Williams a lot this year, for instance. I think he's a huge value just given what we saw last year. I mean, Preston Williams had a higher target share than Devontae Parker did last year before he went down as a rookie. And, yep. you know, a lot mm-hmm. of people look at him they there. Oh, he went undrafted, but he only went undrafted because of off the field stuff. He had a really good uh, profile overall as a prospect. So I like Preston Williams a lot. Um, I'm more concerned when injuries happen, you know, like a month before the season where they haven't had a lot of rehab and there's that risk that they rush them back a little too early. So overall, I'm, I'm mostly fading Debo unless I can get him as like a wide receiver, like five. You know, if I go wide receiver heavy, um, I just generally avoid those types of players where there's a lot of question marks still around their health you know, with a month to go. But it sounds like Preston Williams, for instance, uh, is, is getting some work, work in. So you should feel a little bit optimistic about that.
2: Yeah, and as long as Fitz is there, you know, I know right. Tua may come in. He's going to keep everybody <laughs> going strong. He'll feed them, no problem. You had a video out, of course, their FanDuel Week 1 DFS plays you went on More Ways to Win the Fanduel Fantasy and Sports Betting Show. Great show, of course. And put on Twitter there, at More Ways to Win TV. Curious, can you give us like a favorite play from each position? QB, running back, wide receiver, tight end. Just somebody here who's caught your eye that you're thinking about. We're a couple weeks away from week one, of course.
1: Yeah, so I think that I'm going to target that Seattle-Atlanta game a lot. So you could go with either like a Russ or or Matt Ryan at QB, stack them with a DK Metcalf, who I love at uh, $6,400 against that inexperienced secondary. Hayden Hurst is only $5,200 is one of the cheaper tight ends in week one. So I really, really love that game. So I would go that direction with the pass catchers and quarterback. And then at running back, the the easiest value of all time in in week one DFS, potentially. uh, Miles Sanders is listed at (laughs) $6,800 against Washington, which to be fair, Washington's defensive line should be a little bit or a lot better. Um, But uh, they should have a, a good positive game script in that game. And Miles Sanders obviously going to be the workhorse in that backfield. I mean, he's cheaper than like Leonard Fournette right now. So I would, I would be going all in on Miles Sanders.
2: Yeah, definitely across the board. That's the one. And if you're going to get him, that price is going to skyrocket. You may never see that price yeah. again for the rest of the season. Time for redraft lightning round here. I'm going to give you two players. Tell me which one you like better for PPR leagues at their current ADP. We'll start here. Pass catching running backs that are not the lead guy. Duke Johnson, RB 47. Tariq Cohen, RB 34.
1: I like Cohen more straight up for sure, um, but I think given this this cost and these you know, RB47 versus RB34, I might side with Duke. I, I would go Duke there.
2: Better team target hog. Terry McLaurin, F1, wide receiver 19, or Devontae Parker down there in Miami, wide receiver 26?
1: I love Terry McLaurin this year. I, I'd lean his way, but I would not be shocked if Parker continues to do what he did last year.
2: Better rookie wide receiver. Both of these guys sort of going up the the skyrocketing up the charts here. Jalen Rager in Philadelphia, wide receiver forty six. He's moving around all over the place in the offense, and of course he looks like the lead guy. And Brandon Ayuk now with Jalen Hurd's going to be out. Wide receiver fifty seven. Uh, which one do you like better there?
1: I like both of them, and I would be targeting both of them. Uh, But given where they're being drafted, you know, wide receiver 46 versus wide receiver 57, there's not a huge significant difference there. So I'm just going to go with the guy that I like more, which is Jalen Rager. Uh, He was my wide receiver three uh, coming out. Uh, I just think he's a really special talent.
2: And last one, better wide receiver value. Darius Slayton in the Giants offense had a lot of big plays there. Super fast guy, wide receiver 44. Or Nikhil Harry, haven't seen much, but lead guy, certainly along with Edelman in New England, and it looks like he could have a connection there with Cam Newton as they're, they're getting in the preseason. He's at wide receiver 54.
1: Yeah, this is a tough one because I'm not necessarily super high on either of them at this point. I think I would lean Harry there uh, just because of, of uh, the fact that Slayton did what he did down the stretch last year without a fully healthy uh, Giants offense, so I don't know what that's totally going to look like. But I think Slayton's sort of the right kind of target where no one's really talking about him that much. He fits a lot of the criteria that I found for breakout wide receivers, so I understand going after Darius Slayton. I think I would just lean Harry here just given cost.
2: You have a favorite old TV show, one from a, a kid that you still watch, Sig Love Taxi, which caused wildfire on social media here as a positive. You have an old show that you watch once in a while?
1: Yeah, so I was a 90s kid. Um, one of them that, that – I, I was a, a Freaks and Geeks OG uh
2: wow
3: yeah i I watched it while
1: it was actually going on and happening because freaks and geeks is one of those shows that people have just like loved on after the fact but i was watching it when i was 11 12 years old while it was actually airing um so obviously i mean that show spawned a lot of of great careers and had an awesome cast and and uh, judd apatow was producing it and uh it was an awesome awesome show but that's that that was my go-to whenever i saw this question
2: Oh, that's a great one. Next one. The landmines in fantasy football. You know, those tight ends. It's funny. I did a, wanted to put some work in. So I looked at the correlation here for the second half tight ends, tight end six to tight end 12 and ADP. I saw the correlations low. Someone tweets me, great job. You know, JJ did this like four years ago. Great. That, that's great. Yes, it's correct. I didn't know that, but it was good. I got to verify your work you'd already done, but there's zero correlation there, right? So I'm curious. Are you comfortable with Evan Ingram in that tight end five-ish range? Because, Of course, Daniel Jones had a lot of big weeks last year, had the turnover problem, but the Giants have a very rough schedule to start the year. They have Tate, they have Slayton. Saquon, of course, going to get his. Sterling Shepard, of course, is a great value. But Ingram, six foot three, four four two speed, big catch radius. He's always efficiency with the healthy tag, when he's healthy, right? So I'm curious, how do you factor that in? Do you push him up more towards the top of the tight end ADP, or is he down there at the bottom, sort of a hit-or-miss guy?
1: I think he's, he's more towards the top of that range and the players being drafted in that range. The problem is I just don't take tight ends there very often at all. Yep. Um, you know, you, you mentioned the correlation uh, with those tight end five to 12. I, what I found whenever I did the study a couple of years ago is that tight end uh, one through 12 over the last like seven years that I had looked at it. I think it was between like 2011 and 2017. Uh, there was no correlation between preseason ADP and, and postseason result. And a lot of people would think, oh, that means that there's no difference between the tight end one and the tight end twelve, or the tight end two and the tight end ten. Uh, but really, what it what it was is that these middle round tight ends just suck, and they're they're yep, they're, they're terrible. And because mm-hmm. if you looked at the tight end one to the tight end six. And you looked at that correlation, there was correlation because generally speaking we're seeing the elite tight ends give us at least some production year in and year out. So the way that I approach the tight end position is going for the Kelsey Kittles if I won maybe the Mark Andrews this year um, or just waiting. I think there's just a lot a lot of good late round tight end uh, targets this season that could that could truly break out
2: it's funny when you look at the FFPC ADP right now currently over the last four days. That group of tight ends is so bunched up. It goes Ingram, Higby, Hunter Henry, Gasecki, Hawkinson, who we just heard is is still hurt, not 100%. Austin Hooper, Gronk. I mean, I feel like they all go right next to each other because it's like tight end roulette. Yeah. People can't figure out who it is. They just want to grab one because they see them going. Whereas I think the best move is to wait a little longer.
1: Right, exactly.
2: I usually go for the truther question here. Who are you stubbornly a truther for in 2020? Ryan McDowell went with Randall Cobb. Still thinks he can have a good season. Of course, we agree. So many different guys have been mentioned. Evan talked Rex Burkhead. He is not going to get off of Rex Burkhead. Who's your truther guy here, JJ?
1: I am a Deontay Johnson truther. Okay. Um, And I I became one after just watching a ton of them last year. Um, I do think that analytics... You know, Obviously, I I look at prospects through analytics. Um, and, And I do think, though, that we... Uh, we're a little bit too harsh on him and his lack of product. He was he was a, a fairly productive wide receiver, and he actually was was on on a team with with other decent teammates as well who were who went undrafted or at least were like borderline draft picks. Um, so and he also had the the return uh, uh piece to, to his profile. Um, so I just I get irrationally angry whenever people start to talk about James Washington as this breakout this year in that in that Steelers offense, even though I think there's some validity to it. Uh, I, I just worry that that you know the Chase Claypool pick meant more about James Washington and their their uh the way they they feel about him as opposed to Deontay Johnson, who really you know we love on this this rookie wide receiver class from last year. Deontay Johnson with these horrible quarterbacks ended up leading. That class in receptions and obviously yep. targets and and looks going a wide receiver's way. Um, it is a skill uh, to to be able to see that volume. Uh, you have to get open in order to see that volume. So I'm excited for what Deontay Johnson could do. I've been drafting him a lot this year.
2: I mean, there is no one who's a more efficient interview than JJ Zacharyson. One more man and I'll get you out of here. Just amazing stuff. I want the bold prediction. Rich Rebar sort of went with, we're going to have 16 games. That's what he went with. Sir. Nice, so nice. <laughs> I'm curious. Give me the bold prediction here that you think in the range of outcomes, it, it may be iffy, but you think it could happen.
1: So I'm actually working on a bold predictions article right now. So this was easy for me because I could just grab one from that. Um, the one that I, I'll talk about is I think Tyler Lockett can finish as a top eight wide receiver.
2: Oh, um, good one.
1: Yeah. So he was really good when he was healthy last year. Uh, there's at least some chance, again, I go back to look at the, look at where these guys are being drafted. Like I, I love it with, with both DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett guys who are going to have fairly high averages at the targets. They get targeted in the end zone a lot. Those are two pieces that you really want to your wide receiver. Uh, but there's room for growth because what if, what if Brian Schottenheimer in the Seahawks offense decided to throw the ball at least a little bit more? Um, what if they see a little bit more negative game scripts than they've seen, uh, historically? Uh, so, there is some room for growth there. And Tyler Lockett last year, before getting hurt, um, he was essentially a top five wide receiver in fantasy football uh, before that leg injury. So, I love Lockett this year. I, I think that both of those Seattle wide receivers are good targets.
2: Superior call, folks. JJ Zacharyson on Twitter at late round QB. FanDuel, number fire, late round podcast, living the stream with Denny Carter. Guy is everywhere, one of the absolute best in the business, and you far exceeded the high expectations we had, JJ. Thanks so much. Ton of great insight here. Really appreciate it. We'll be following you during the season.
1: Thanks, Mike. Really appreciate you having me. Thank you for listening to
2: RotoViz Radio. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes under the fantasy football mailbag, a RotoViz Radio feed contact us via email rotovizradio at gmail.com we'd love to hear what you think so follow us on twitter at rotovizradio and at randall rant make sure you tell a friend and don't forget to sign up for a 10 percent discount on our podcast homepage rotoviz.com forward slash podcast it's a no brainer folks thanks for tuning in Folks, sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is back in action, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out those odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24 7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven time NBA champ Big Shot Robert Ori. You can see what they had to say on what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use that promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts.